2: Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a 3-in-1 formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little flash. Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app.
3: Hello. What I have for you today are the edited re-releases of two episodes from the archives. The first was actually the seventh episode of the podcast, released in July of 2013. I called it "Oh Canada," the '70s, and the second is my interview with Michel Pagliaro, episode 111, released in January of 2016.
4: Wait a minute! This sounds like rock
3: and/or roll. Good day, this is Canadian Corner.
2: I'm Bob McKenzie, and this is my brother Doug. Doug.
3: <laughs> hey, take off! Hey, eh? don't hit me, Doug. I'm just minding my own business here. We're going, What are you doing? So- I say this is my brother Doug. You're supposed to say good day. What? <laughs> what? can you hear me? Oh, geez, now I can't. Hey, i you wearing earmuffs
2: for inside, anyway.
3: Because I got a chill, eh? and I thought I might get sick. Don't give drink me my beer. Well, I'll get another. We'll give you right? we another one then. So, okay, uh,
2: today we're going to talk about. Uh, when, does we, when does it start? <laughs> what, the show? Yeah. It did already. Oh, <laughs> yes. decent. You're really paying attention. I didn't eh? know,
3: eh? I had my earmuffs on. Well, you can see right there. <laughs> I'm Doug McKenzie, eh? This is my brother. I already Bob. said that you were Doug McKenzie. <laughs> oh, jeez. Maybe we it. ought to just start all over again, eh? I don't think we have time, eh? Good day. Uh, today's topic is. What? Is it over? Well, I don't know. I no, think it's it not might be. over. We still got time, eh? I don't think we just do. Just want to say that. We don't. It's over. Good day. Hello, welcome to Rock and or Roll. I'm your reluctant host, BJ. This episode is going to be devoted to my favorite artists and songs that to come out of Canada in the 70s. I know I have some Canadian listeners out there, so a lot of these songs probably won't be as obscure to you as they are to the rest of the listeners. I'm not really sure. But a lot of great rock and roll was being made in Canada in the 70s, and much of it is virtually unknown, as far as I can tell, outside of Canada. Including one of my personal favorite songwriters of all time, probably, a guy named Michel Pagliaro. He began recording his recording career in 1966 and started out singing in French. He's French-Canadian from Montreal. His earliest material is all in French He eventually started recording some stuff in English as well. He sort of mixed it up. He would have an album in English, album in French. I do not think anything by Pagliaro was ever released in the United States. So that's a travesty, really, because some of his songs, as you're going to hear, are hit songs. And nobody in the United States... Or probably Europe really got the chance to hear them. So, As far as in Canada, I'm not really sure of Pagliaro's level of fame. I know some of his songs were hits, at least minor hits or regional hits. I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to play an extended medley here of Pagliaro's songs, beginning with a 1969 single in French called Milady. And there was an album called Pagliaro in 1971 that features some amazing songs. Then in, That album was in English. Then in 72, there's an album called Peg in French that's great. Uh, Pagliaro 1 in 1975 was in English. And there's a 1977 album in English called Time Race. Some of the songs from that album were also on, recorded in French as well. And there was a French album that came out, I believe, in 76 that had some of the songs that ended up on Time Race in English in 77. If you've never heard Peg Laro before, you're in for a treat. ¶¶ So there's your Pagliaro primer. I'm guessing you're a fan now. Not the easiest records in the world to get your hands on. There was a two-CD set in the 90s, I guess, called Pagliaro's Hit Parade. That's probably out of print, but eBay is your best bet. After Pagliaro, my second favorite artist, Canadian artist from the 70s is probably a band called Thundermug. They formed in Ontario in 1970 and released three albums in the 70s, Strikes, Thundermug Strikes in 1972, Orbit in 1973, and Tada in 1974. And there was an LP in the United States called Thundermug Strikes, which was actually a compilation of songs from the first two Canadian albums, Strikes and Orbit. Thundermug Strikes is a great record. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun 70s rock record, but that. Album Orbit in 1973. The title track from that record is one of my favorite songs of all time.
2: Please call me
0: orbit. Space is no place to be alone.
2: Just call me orbit. I've come this far and I can't go home. The sun
0: is cold. The stars are bright. It's lonely
2: night. I sail my craft in search of breath. I wish I'd be Soon I've seen a light world with just one moon. Please tell me your space is no place to be alone Just call me your but I've come this far and I can up. Uh-huh.
3: Now let's hear a couple of songs from Thundermug's third album from 1974 called Ta Da. Another Canadian band from the 70s that I like a lot is a band called Chilliwack. They formed in 1970. They didn't really get good until their fourth album, Riding High, which came out in 1974. are some really good songs on the next couple Chiliwack albums, the fifth album Rocker Box and Dreams 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 from 1977, but my favorite Chiliwack album came out in 1978. It's called Lights from the Valley. April Wine achieved a certain level of fame in the United States, especially in the 80s. They formed in 1969 and really hit their stride on their fourth album, Stand Back, from 1975, which actually went platinum in Canada. features my favorite song by the band. (laughs) ¶¶ April Wine actually had a top 40 hit in the United States with a song called Roller off their 1978 album First Glance. I'm personally not a fan of that song, but there are really good songs on that album like this one. Sweeney Todd were Canada's premier glam rock band. They formed in 1975 and actually had a number one hit in Canada with a song called Roxy Roller. That song is all right. My favorite song on that first Sweeney Todd album is a song called Broadway Boogie. sweeney Todd's singer was a guy named nick gilder he got himself a record deal in the states and left the band his first album solo album came out in 1977 a record called you know who you are it's a great album So that album, You Know Who You Are, 1977 by Nick Gilder, is a record that you want to own. Trust me. Gilder hooked up with Mike Chapman after that and scored a number one hit with an inferior song in the U.S. called Hot Child in the City. That's the way it goes. That record, 1978, is called City Nights, and there are much better songs on there than the hit. Thank you. To Sweeney Todd, they actually replaced Nick Gilder and recorded a second album called If Wishes Were Horses, which came out in 1977. If you don't already know, you will never guess by listening to this song who the singer was that replaced Nick Gilder and Sweeney Todd. Check it out. actually a 17 year old brian adams yes the brian adams doing his best nick gilder impersonation i love that song actually neil merriweather had a long career in rock music he was in a bunch of bands in the 60s he had a pretty cool heavy rock band in the 70s called heavy cruiser then in 1974 he released his first solo album just as neil merriweather called space rangers and then He put out a really cool album in 1975 called Kryptonite. Rose were an Ontario band formed in the early 70s by Brian Allen, who would later start the band Toronto, and Gary Lalonde, who would later end up in the band Honeymoon Suite. Their first album, Hooked on a Rose, came out in 1973. Do you- It took a few years, but Rose released two more albums in 1976 and 77, A Taste of Neptune and Judgment Day. The Whackers formed in the early 70s when two guys, Bob Sigarini and Randy Bishop, left a band called Roxy to form their own band. The first Wackers album called Wackering Heights came out in 1971. Packers released two more albums, Hot Wax, W-A-C-K-S of course, and in 1972, and Shredder in 1973. A couple more bands to play for you uh, a band called goto formed in 1975 by guitarist greg Godovitz. he had previously been in a band called flood f-l-u-d-d they had a couple of minor hits in the early 70s in canada
0: you make me feel my life is over You make me feel my life has gone. You make me feel my life is over. Although it's only just begun. Turn 21 without a... i
3: Greg Godovitz decided to take his next band in a decidedly different direction. The first Gato album, which came out in 1977, is basically an early version of heavy metal. Gatto released two more albums in the 70s, Who Cares in 1978 and An Act of Gatto in 1979. ¶¶ that song, Sign on the Line. That's from the third Gato record. Okay, I think that's gonna do it for my little tribute to 70s rock out of Canada. Alright, so, to play us out. What does that mean,
4: to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah.
3: Anyways, this is the title track from the Thor album, 1977, Keep the Dogs Away. (laughs)
4: Oh, it's nice to speak
3: to you. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. Thank you so much for um, taking the time. Well, you're,
4: you're quite welcome. I uh, I was surprised that they said, oh, uh, somebody's going to call you. He wants to talk to you. I said, well, that's great stuff. You
3: know? um, I'm just such a huge fan of your work. Here you are. I can't believe I'm talking to you right now.
4: <laughs> well, I'm very flattered. Uh, very interesting. Uh, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. I don't know.
3: Have you ever played a, sh- a concert in the United States? Not really, no. I don't think so. Yeah, that's that's just crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, I yeah,
4: yeah. I I know. It's just like this stuff like that happens sometimes. You know, it's like uh, life has different uh, roads sometimes. But anyway, it's never too late. I'm still around.
3: <laughs> yeah, I w- I mean, please, <laughs> I'll travel. I'll travel to <laughs> come see you. But uh,
4: we gotta find we gotta find somebody who's uh, willing to. Uh,
3: Hear me sing or yeah, I know. I, know. I mean, that's that's the problem any rock and roll artist has these days in the United States oh, yeah, is trying course. to get an audience. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember very clearly when and how I first discovered your work. You know, I was born in 1974, so it wasn't that simple for me to to become familiar with you. But since I'm just such a huge rock fan, and especially 70s rock, I'm just always trying to find out about new stuff. And I remember about 15 years ago. Probably like two thousand one. I was living in New York then, and um, spending too much time on eBay, you know. And uh, th- have you ever heard of the magazine Bomp Magazine from the seventies? B O M P. B O M P. Yeah, Bomp Magazine. Um, no, there was also no. a record label. There was an no, I issue. I got an issue of that. I have
4: to tell you. I have to tell you, Brian. I'm not Brian, right? Yeah, Brian. Yeah, I have to tell you, I'm not really a sort of like a uh following collector kind of guy i don't really right i've never really done that you know i'm not it's not me
3: you know like i don't even collect records you know what i'm saying well well that is me
4: (laughs) i just listen to the same bass drum all day
3: (laughs) (laughs) so but so i got this Bomp magazine from 1978 and this was, you know, in like 2001 when I got my hands on this thing, and they had it's a it's actually a kind of a famous issue because it's a power pop issue, and Bomp, Bomp was a big power pop record label too, um, out of California. So, but they had a write up in there about the Montreal 70s Montreal scene, mainly about you and Bob Segerini. They mainly talked about, but um, that's where I first read about you. They called you the uncrowned king of Canadian rock and roll. They described your your music as the most sterling classic pop, rock, and roll songs you could desire. That's what they... So when I read that, I, I needed to hear this, so uh, I went on eBay. You know, this was before even YouTube or the iTunes store, so it was still really hard uh, to, to hear to anything. Yeah, to get access
4: to all these things. Yeah. That's right, I understand. Yeah. So I went Plus, on also, whoever's on the other end has got to make his stuff available through these venues, too. Yeah, so yeah. A lot of the times, they weren't, you know what I mean, so...
3: But, you know, it was just a coincidence that I read that and I went right on eBay and somebody was selling the Amber Records version of the Pagliaro record and also the Pagliaro 1 record. And so I ordered those, they came in the mail, and, you know, as soon as I heard some sing some dance, <laughs> I was just astonished. I was like, how have I not, you know, known about this? But, I mean, as far as I could tell... You had a couple of singles that came out in the US, right? Loving You Ain't Easy on Pie Records and What the Hell I Got. They're not they're not they're
4: not they're not American, they're British. Okay. I don't think it ever came out in America, but it, but it came out in England.
3: Right. And and none, none of records. your full-length records, even though you had like RCA, Columbia, and Canada, they never put it out in the US.
4: No, never no.
3: A- and they could never get a deal for some reason, I don't know. Uh, that's just... But it was
4: always complex too, because uh, basically, I mean, I, I was in New York a few times trying to uh, find out like what I could do. Uh, but you know, you got to do a lot of stuff that like, uh, and people don't necessarily want to be involved. You know, you need you need like the whole army with you. You need your own thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's very complicated.
3: Yeah, yeah, but it's still—it's just baffling to me that a, a song as great as "Some Sing, Some Dance," they—they they don't see that. They don't want to release that. I, I just can't even comprehend that.
4: I—I I have no idea. To tell you the truth, I never really followed the thing through either. Like you know, it's like uh, uh, it didn't
3: happen.
4: Uh, they didn't release it. Well, okay. Well, I'm doing something else. You know what I'm saying? I didn't say yeah. like you know, like I'm trying to bang down the door in the corridor to try to get through, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. So like, so, like, but basically, you know, I lived in France for a long time, too, and I did things there. It was all interesting for me. It's like I I, I always dabbled in the two things, like uh, doing songs or writing songs, doing shows, doing studio as a producer and, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I enjoy it all. And uh, I, I like to play shows, obviously, and uh, but we've never really had any sort of like uh, opportunity to get any sort of like serious production or serious promotion exterior to Canada or, or even then, you know, the promo for Canada was even in the beginning. It was sort of like, even the record company that signed us in the beginning, they had radio stations. They didn't even want to play it because they didn't want to look biased, you know, so They were waiting for other people to play it so they'd start playing it, you know, that kind of thing. But that's the way the world goes, you know, sometimes it doesn't even go, uh, it doesn't always go where you think it will. But basically the the reasons for creating the music was not, uh, the intention was more to try to do something that was, uh, I don't know, that worked at the moment, you know what I mean? That sort of like it was doing something, there was a tune there or whatever, but. I wasn't dreaming about like sort of like uh stardom or whatever it was you know what i'm saying right, it, wasn't, right. uh, it was just the music uh and the tune was good uh, and we tried to record it the best we could and uh, that kind of thing you know it was like more like a uh trying to trying to make the 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 idea live by giving it enough craft to uh float you know what i'm saying
3: yeah so you first picked up a guitar. Was it still even the late 50s? I mean, it was before the Beatles when you started playing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when did, how early? Well, you... I mean, I don't, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you'd call that playing, but anyway, you know. <laughs> but, but your yeah. interest, your interest in you, you being could, a uh, musician. You you get blisters, you know, you're working <laughs> on it,
4: you know. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, but you know, sometimes like I'm, I'm always kind of a lonely kid, so. There was a few kids around my house that played a little bit of music, so uh, my father bought me a guitar, so I started like uh, playing on the balcony, and then I started hanging around with these kids, and then sooner or later we started doing these uh, Saturday night dances and schools and stuff, and uh, then clubs, and then you know like I just kept going into that, you know. and uh, basically I I got a chance to play a lot of different types of music. Because at that particular time, too, especially, I don't know if it was the same or uh, some, you know, like if you didn't have any horns or you didn't play any cha-chas, you wouldn't get any gigs,
3: you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: So even though the even though the Beatles became sort of like a guitar quartet in the beginning, you really hear a lot of cha-cha influenced stuff because cha-cha was like the thing, you know. So.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who was it that inspired you to first start playing and writing songs?
4: I, uh, I, I that's a difficult question because I mean you get influenced by so many things. I don't really know if it like was one particular thing or it's not coming up right now. I mean you know like I mean we listen to the Ventures, you know just the instrumental guitar stuff. But that, I didn't really become a fan of that. But uh, I sort of like the singing groups. Uh, I'm not necessarily a group fan, but more of like the 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 piece itself. You know like I might like one tune from one guy another tune from another guy kind of thing. I'm not necessarily. I don't follow through like everybody's uh, art. Right. that deep, you know what
3: I mean? Yeah. But I I, th- I think there's a pretty recognizable difference between sort of the rock and the pop music of the 60s. And then the 70s. Uh, there, there was a big shift, I think in the 70s, just in the way songs were written, and I guess the melodies became more complex, or there was just more Creativity. Well,
4: yeah, well, the, the the 60s was still kind of
3: quite pop. Uh, lots of R&B, too, that sort of like not,
4: you know, like there was like so much uh, Fort Tops, uh, Supremes, uh, all that stuff, uh, 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 all the Tamla Motown stuff that was like right in the same period. But for some reason, they're not necessarily being sort of like hi- history, uh, you know. History is not uh, that kind to the, uh, to that because it was very popular too, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, the Beatles, uh, it was still kind of quite popish, uh, even though it had a rock taste to it, which would that, that had a different sound. I remember the first time I heard I Want to Hold Your Hand, the sound of the guitars were like completely different than what we're used to hearing as a, a, American, let's say American recordings or American tones. The tone of the guitars were like completely different, sort of very sort of like gargly and muffled, interesting. But they had tunes, that, and they were different. The, the, I think what what made them stick out was the originality too. They had a different, uh, they had a different, uh, and the the lyric content too was sort of more uh, had more quality to it than what you were usually getting, you know. So. There was something interesting about it. And then a lot of groups were happening there too, you know. Like, you
3: know yeah, were, you know. were you inspired by maybe Badfinger?
4: Uh Badfinger. Badfinger sort of sort of like a group uh I remember they used one of their tunes in the Magic Christian movie. Yeah. But um not not necessarily, no. Although, you know, like it's because I can tell like because especially from that first record. Like, a lot of it is sort of, like, kind of beatle maybe. But it wasn't necessarily done in a way that, like, we are trying to, like, uh, make it that way kind of thing, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, was the say, uh, flavor of the month kind of thing, you know what I mean? No more than, like, a quest, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, when I look at what was happening in, say, 1971, when you came out with Love and You Ain't Easy and Some Sing, Some Dance, there really wasn't very much that sounded like what you were doing yet. It seems like you were ahead of the curve as far as writing that kind of what we call like power pop now. pop you know that power term? pop yeah okay power pop, yeah. how great those melodies were and, and so infusing that kind of 70s rock and roll with those kind of really catchy melodies there wasn't a lot of that happening yet you were really okay. early on in doing that for as far as i can tell okay
4: well you you would know more than i would because I, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to no i wouldn't be able to situate it you know i wouldn't i don't have any gauge for it i'm not I'm not in the soup, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm And uh, and I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to categorize it or how I would feel about what category or whatever it should be or shouldn't have been or you no, know, I wouldn't know. You know. Well, so t- it's good you're telling me now. I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, two two of the main bands that always get brought up are Big Star and the Raspberries, but neither of those bands came out until 1972. So you beat them to it. Uh, as far as I can tell, you know, which... So I was just wondering where those songs came from. Because you, you you were writing kind of the more bluesy rock and roll songs, and you were also writing these really great pop songs at the same time. Was that kind of a conscious thing, or was it just whatever song you wrote, that's what you wrote?
4: Well, I mean, there's there's almost there's always a bit of conscious and unconscious going on, you know what I mean? But, yeah. But um, uh, basically... I've never really sort of like said, okay, I do this kind of uh, clothes and I'll be doing this kind of clothes all the time. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't necessarily go after the thing that should be. I'm sort of more, uh, sometimes I try to do stuff that's out of the box often to just, I don't know, for like an adventure of some sort or or trying to see what happens, you know, instead of, like, let's say, always digging in the same pot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that way, well, you get a chance to sometimes uh, find a certain thing that wasn't necessarily supposed to be in the box, but fits quite well because uh, you find a way to interpret it or do it, that even though it's not necessarily a mainstream sort of, like, um, theme or feel... It, 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 you could still make it uh, conscious to, you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so so all of your, your early stuff was all pretty much in French, but then when you started writing these these songs, Loving You Ain't Easy, Some Sing Some Dance, you shifted to English. Was that w- with maybe the U.S. And, and England in mind, or was it more just the rest of Canada, or...?
4: No, I don't think it was geographical. I think it was always sort of like a quest to make stuff in English because obviously, I mean, that's, you know, that's where the thing is. I mean, you know, the the French stuff was sort of like uh, to, uh, you know, be able to cover the immediate surroundings kind of thing because there was a, there still is, a market for French, although very small, in, in, in North America anyway. Yeah. I'm part of the furniture, you know what I mean? So, like, obviously, I'm not going to start not doing
1: that.
4: So, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the only quest should be that. I mean, so obviously when you're a kid, you want to do, like, songs in English. You want to get somewhere else. The records never came out anywhere else except England and maybe in Europe and a couple of other places, but we never had any American releases on any of these things, so... Uh, but uh, you never know. Maybe tomorrow we'll have it out there somewhere,
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, what what was that record label, Much Records? Was that a pretty small label, or
4: it's a, it's a label that uh, was, uh, um, let's say a subsidiary of um, Chum Radio, if you put uh, which is a Toronto based uh station, or used to be. I don't even know if it's still there, okay. you know. When you turned uh, it, uh, when you turned Chum uh, upside down, it read much. So
3: that's. Oh, I, I see. From. I get it. So was it was it on the level of sort of a major label in Canada, or was it a smaller operation? It
4: it, it was a small operation, uh, and uh, for some reason, the the British man who uh, who passed away not long ago was a sweet guy. Uh, he came from England. But he wanted to do English bands that came from Montreal. A lot of the, he came to Montreal, I guess, because a lot of Toronto people were already there. So he decided to go, to come to Montreal and they had their label here in Montreal.
3: So what do you remember about writing those songs? Like some sing, some dance. Do you remember writing that? Oh yeah, sure.
4: dense it was done maybe inside 20 minutes really <laughs> It was like really i was just sitting down and i sort of came up with like the riff and it all poured out in one shot kind of thing i mean sometimes every... it happens like that sometimes it doesn't like uh, loving you eat easy is probably like uh, it was probably like parts and then you know uh, a little bit later you find the uh, bridge and then you sort of boot all up together and then you record it kind of thing you know it's only result you know like uh, if it takes you 10 seconds to do, and it's great, and everybody says, wow, that's great. Uh, who cares how long it took the guy? You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it might take you 50 years, and everybody looks at it and says, wow, that's shit. You know? <laughs> yeah. So they're not going to say, wow, yeah, but it's 50 years he's been working on it. Man, he should have started doing something else before. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not the quantity of time you put on something that gives it any kind of artistic appreciation. It's like what you get from it, you know, and uh, if it took the artist 10 seconds or 10 years, that's his problem, you know, but if your enjoyment is that, you want to find out about it, good for you, but it shouldn't alter, uh, the process shouldn't alter your satisfaction and whatever you're getting out of it, you know? it shouldn't sound like work, whatever it is.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So were those, were those songs hits in Canada?
4: Um, well, I, I I imagine they played for a while. They still play. I mean, you know, not as frequently as they used to. Obviously, they are always part of some, uh, you know, uh, gold or uh, whatever they call it. You know, um, past hits or whatever. Yeah, it's hard to quantify hits. You know, sometimes people really like the tunes. They don't necessarily hear them that often, but they know them and they like them. You know. Um,
3: I well, I know that everyone. Everyone that I play, like some sing, some dance for. They love it, and I, I can't. I really think if that song had been released in America and played on the radio in '71 or '72, I can't imagine it wouldn't have been a hit song because.
0: Well,
4: it it had a lot of it had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good critique out of West Coast and uh, you know record guys and stuff like that, like. Uh, You know, a lot of people uh, tried to plug it and stuff, but for some reason there was never any follow-through on the business side, I imagine. I I really wouldn't know, you know. I wouldn't know what to tell you.
3: I think maybe it was just too early. You were too ahead of your time a little bit there, maybe. Oh,
4: Oh, well, maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe. But oh. It's hard for one to 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 tell, you know. If you're ahead of your time, it's sort of pompous, you know what I mean. I'm ahead of my time, yeah, right. You know, step into the rubber room, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. Uh, well, speaking oh. of speaking of rubber rooms, another one of my very favorite songs of yours is the song "Sure Maybe" from that same from that same Pagliaro record from '71. Okay. <laughs> and you talk about a mental institution in that song, so I guess that's a good segue. Um, do you remember, do you remember writing that song? That's such, I mean, that is such an upbeat, you know, really fast paced, just great seventies rock song. Okay. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot different from, I've never
4: really, I, I, will tell you the truth. Probably the last time I played it was when I played on the record, you know, really? (laughs) Really? So, you know, like a lot of them, like we do a lot of shows, I do a lot of shows, but I don't necessarily, uh, the the songs that I do live. Are like good for me live. Sometimes other ones that are good on albums. Sometimes are fun, but live they're not necessarily that interesting or to me, you know. And seeing that I'm the guy singing, so I sort of like get, get the first call. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, things are like that. Sometimes you songs. Uh, sometimes they keep living as records, but they don't necessarily as live stuff. And then I guess if they get. Popular enough that you don't have any choice but to sing them live. Well, then that's your problem. You know, <laughs> you know, you do what you have to do.
3: There were there were a lot of acoustic guitars on all of those early songs. Yeah, twelve string. Yeah, acoustic twelve string for like a lot of those something,
4: uh, something, some dance and uh, rain showers and loving. They are like the twelve string guitars. You know?
3: yeah even sure maybe which is a much more upbeat song you still hear mostly acoustic guitars on it
4: yeah i think there's uh electric lines on top but i think it's like basically the rhythm section it's always like acoustic bass and drums kind of thing
3: yeah I love yeah. that. I love that. And then, even uh, the next record, the Peg record, that came out on RCA in Canada. Um, and it's that's a French record, but, you know, and I don't speak French, but I still, I love that record. I love the songs. Um, they're so great. Uh, the song, you know, I, I hope I don't pronounce this too poorly, but Je Serai Libere. You remember that one?
4: Je Serai Libere. Yeah, yeah.
3: I love that song. Such a great melody. And that's a mostly acoustic song, too. And Shay Moi, Shay uh-huh. Moi. Uh, uh-huh. Those are such great pop songs. And But then on the same record, you have really great just bluesy kind of 70s rock songs as well. So right. there's such oh, a okay. mix it's, on it. that.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the mix comes from the fact of uh, having recorded what you have, and, and all of a sudden you put out an album with the stuff you have recorded, you know? Yeah. It's not always, uh, you know, they're not always uh, sort of like generated as albums, you know what I'm saying? Like they're walking in and you're getting budget to do an album. Sometimes it's just like... Uh, Cuts, different cuts for different sessions put together plus maybe more sessions done in the shot to try to create a a whole ten cut or whatever many cuts there are on an album. Today they're more on project stuff. uh, So people will have sort of like a continuity of something like throughout much easier than before where, you know, whether you listen to a Beatle album, all, although some of the last ones they were a bit more conceptual than they said, but the other stuff you could tell there's like different sessions and different things. Or you listen to old rock and roll guys too, you know, like whether it's Chuck Berry, Little Richard, or James Brown, and whatever it is. I mean, they're all they're all uh, you know different cuts, you know.
3: But but then you moved on to sort of more complex arrangements, like on the Pagliaro R O one record, like I don't believe it's you. Uh, the much more produced, I guess, would be one way to describe it. So, when you made the Pagliaro 1 record, like, I don't believe it's you, were you were you taking a different approach? Or were you trying to make a bigger a bigger sounding record?
4: I'm not sure there was any kind of uh, direction as far as uh, vision. It was just more of a progression? Sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know what happens too, is like sometimes you change musicians and stuff and then that changes the whole thing, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like, it doesn't
4: sound the same, so... Obviously, it's going to be different because you don't have the same instrumentalists. So they're, they're not generating the same kind of tones. And it's, not, it's gone through a different kind of process to get to the end and blah, blah, blah. So obviously, uh, it'll have whatever it has. Considering this, uh, does it have songs that are worthwhile calling songs that work with these tones? And then you say no. Well, then you got a shit album. <laughs> if you got a couple <laughs> of dudes, well, you're lucky, you know, because basically, uh, in, when you're working with groups, uh, I, which is what I do, I mean, uh, I always worked with, uh, tried to keep it sort of like a group thing, uh, playing with me, and different eras had different people. So sometimes uh, the sound changes. So you. But I, I, I don't necessarily uh, say, well, okay, this is the sound they do, so I'm going to create this kind of music. I don't do that. I just, like, I use whatever is there and try to create stuff from that, you know, instead of, like, trying to apply a thought to something, you know. But I've been, I've been working on something for quite a few years, different kind of stuff, different projects that fell through, but I kept the material. I got lots of different stuff. And now I've been working with something with uh, my wife's band and they're great kids. And, and we're almost done with a record that was like 12 cuts. There's some in French, but most of them are in English. So I'm looking forward to uh, finishing that probably uh, around springtime will be done. So
1: wow. It'll be
4: fun. Yeah. There's some good tunes in there, too. So hopefully we'll get a good a critique from uh, Brian.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely be waiting for that. Yeah, um, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the song "Time Race" because it's such a, like, an epic song, with a big arrangement, you know, the, and all the piano and everything. But when I was listening to that song, I was like, "Who is the drummer on this song?" Because the drums are just killer on that, and it's uh, Marty Simon is his name.
4: Yeah, Marty, yeah.
3: Yeah. Wow. I, I was blown away by his work on it, especially on the song Time Race. Really cool. Okay. Yeah.
4: <laughs> he, he's played on a few songs on some of the other records, too. Yeah. Uh, but um, Marty, I don't think he plays anymore, but uh, he's always involved in the music publishing things and stuff like that. So.
3: Yeah, he's listed as a co-writer on that song, too. Yes. Because sometimes you know when you jam with people, they're
4: they're provoking things and they're doing stuff. So I usually uh, give pieces, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that way they they not not only they get uh, respect, but I mean if it works out well, then maybe they get a couple of bucks, you know. Although these days, uh, I'm not sure that it's going to amount to money, many bucks, but <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> no, but that's a great approach. I think that's a problem with a lot of bands is where, you know, there's a main songwriter, but but still, the other guys in the band probably deserve some credit for what the song turns into, but a lot of times they don't get the credit and they don't get any of the publishing. So, yeah, I really respect that approach.
4: Well, the thing is, is that the publishing, is it's got to be seeded. The publishing doesn't exist unless you give it to somebody. Okay. So, basically, what I do is uh, I make sure that uh, whatever it is that will be created, I mean, at at the up, at the start, you know, I say, okay, like, I don't know what you guys are going to do. I don't know who's going to give what and uh, who's going to get what or whatever. But whatever it is, everybody's got to release. So, like, uh, you're not running after signatures after the fact, you know, because that's what gets to be a drag. Because sometimes you thought he was your friend and then all of a sudden uh, he wants something you can't give him and then it turns into a big file a drag, you know. Okay. So it's better it's better to say from the outside, of, uh, the, the outset that like, uh, okay, uh, if there will be contributions, this uh, the, the the publishing is already seated. In other words, like they keep the little bit of the writer's share, whatever it is they contributed artistically, but the publishing is already uh, let go. So whoever's going to be making the deal for the record can do make the deal without uh, having problems. You know.
1: Oh, interesting. People. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times, you know, people get upset and you get all these big acrimonies and groups, all that stuff for like, for nothing, for peanuts, you know, and it's like, and they're dividing peanuts and that won't ever be there. And all of a sudden there's this big, uh, uh, what do you call it, Uh, argument between people for nothing, you know, for like, uh, for stuff that doesn't exist and that probably will never exist. All of a sudden, there's this big stuff, and uh, it's better from the outset to make things very clear in the beginning, and that way, whoever's getting on the boat knows what he's getting on to, you know? Yeah. And up up to him to contribute. If he contributes enough, or if he thinks he did, then nobody else thinks he did, well, then he shouldn't be getting anything, you know? (laughs) Because there's nothing worse than giving points to someone who doesn't deserve them, because then it's like cheating, you know? Mm-hmm. you're cheating somebody else or you're cheating yourself and it doesn't make it for anything good anyway you know? but sometimes people use it as payment you know they don't have any money to pay the musician so they give them a piece of the tune yeah you know? yeah sure exactly you know, yeah you know but uh whatever i'm more of like uh i'm more uh my 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 critique on that is more of one of input than uh, one of uh compensation you know like uh I'm sort of a bit hard on the creative thing. Like, I like it if it's real, and if it's not, then it's not, you
3: know? Sure. I don't know
4: what we're talking about, but it's not music.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but that was interesting to hear that perspective on it. You you always see these bands, you know, people wonder why some bands go out on tour without the main guy, and that's because, the like, the cars, you know, Rick Ocasek made all the money, but the other guys still have to make a living, so then... They still have to go out on the road, and he just stays home because he made most of the money because he had the writing credit. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously that broke up a lot of bands, that kind of stuff, so.
4: Well, depends. I mean, if if
3: the guy did write all the stuff, I mean, then it's right, you know. If you're just telling the guy, okay, you play G
4: for four bars, then you play C for four bars, yeah, and that's his contribution, I mean, anybody can do that. So, I mean, if the guy's wanting... Money for the tune because he, that's what he's doing. Well, uh, that's why he's getting paid. Also, he's yeah. getting paid to play. So you know, like a, it's a work for hire thing. If it's like a thing where it's really a creative contribution, the guy came up with the points for the bridge, the melody for the hook, or whatever. You know, like something like that has some bearing of value to the tune. If you don't have that part, I mean, there's no more tune. Well. You know, or there's not as good as a tune, or whatever it is. Well, then, okay, there's a, it's a relative thing. There. But if he's just being a work for hire guy and he's playing the chords in the back, he doesn't deserve it. even though he's got a tone and even though he's got a he did a great solo this and that. Well, that's why he's getting paid. He's an instrumentalist, you know. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make him a composer
1: or an arranger
3: right. or a
4: writer, you know, which is a lot of other stuff. You
3: know? Anyway. So when you when you wrote "Time Race," do you remember? Was did you were were you trying to write a certain kind of song with that song, or was it again just an organic thing? Or
4: organic. Yeah, you know, it's just like on that album. I remember with the producer, the, what's his name? I forgot his oh. name. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, the Peppermint Twist guy. I don't. Was, was,
3: yeah.
4: Anyway. I'm trying to grab my record.
3: Uh, Oh, Bob Gallo. Bobby Gallo. Okay, so Bobby, he had the
4: record of Otis Reading, and he wanted me to sing it. So he played the record, and we learned the tune in the studio, and I changed the arrangement around. I wanted Billy to play the acoustic guitar and Marty to use brushes, and we recorded it off the floor. It's like a one-take thing with the singer and everything. And and that was the tune, and he really liked that, and we put it on the record. And okay. It was a good version.
3: Okay, so 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 there. That's a, the that's a, yeah, that's an interesting insight too. So Dock of the Bay, that's just on the record, just because the producer wanted it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. So, yeah, that's I never really thought about that, but that must happen a lot with song with cover songs too, especially maybe. That's interesting. We uh,
4: we did a good version. I thought it was fun. Yeah, yeah. It was like uh, much less electric, but yet you didn't feel that much electric out of it, kind of thing. You know, there was something like not electric in the in the instrumentation, like on the the original record. He's playing electric guitar and stuff and stuff like that. But um, it it came out uh, okay. In a different way, but then again, it didn't take the, the nature away from the thing, you know. Even though the instrumentation wasn't exactly the same.
3: So the the song "Time Race" kind of feels to me like a Bruce Springsteen style song. How do you yeah, feel? Yeah, about yeah, that? yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. Those kind of things that are like uh, New Jersey, whatever. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, it's got sort of an American thing to
3: it. So. Definitely the piano.
4: But basically, it was done in French first. Right. This is sort of like it was done after. The timely tape was done later, like a year or two later, for the lack of songs.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> sometimes,
4: sometimes you you don't have any ideas, you know? or You got them, but they're not necessarily that good. Or sometimes you have good ideas, but when you play them, they don't come out right with the band you're with. So... You record them, but they don't necessarily come out the way they should. Or sometimes it takes time to understand the tune too. Sometimes like you do it, you do it, you do it, and then you say, "Hey, why don't we try this instead?" And then all of a sudden, the whole thing turns out a lot better. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, things grow. Hopefully, the guy who does them too.
3: (laughs) So that record time race came out on Columbia in Canada. What were their hopes for that to come out in the U.S.? Were, were there attempts made for that?
4: I, I have no idea. You know, like you're asking me these type of questions. Basically, uh, I, I guess these people from Canada couldn't get the other partners to put it out or to get in the back of it through whatever reasons, uh, weather, uh, yeah. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be able to answer you. I don't know. God, I, I know it didn't come out. So. I just
3: don't get that. You, I mean, if you go back to 77 or whatever, you can look at how many shitty records they put out and they, they couldn't find a place to, to put that out in the U.S. I just, it's really flabbergasting to me. But, uh, I
4: mean, uh, this is show business. You never yeah. know. Sometimes you think this is the thing and then it ain't the thing.
3: there's uh, a there's a amazing uh there's an amazing pop single on time Race called last night as well that's such a great song which you know i mean if they could have just gotten that on the radio i don't know right i don't get it well we'll have to ask uh,
4: grandfather at time you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah What I sort of like, uh, I, I guess at one particular point I, I I was maybe frustrated the fact that for some reason things were not. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of different uh, opportunities, but things never sort of opened up or whatever. Could be, uh, you know, like also the people you're with. Sometimes the management people are not the right people. This kind of stuff. too. who knows? But basically, uh, if you like to do whatever it is you're doing. And uh, you can maneuver yourself through life with being able to keep on existing or doing what you like to do. Well, it's a great fortune because living off, you know, being an artist is one thing. Living off your art is something else. So, you know, that's always the difficult part. And these days, even more so, although you can have access to tools that can give you the opportunity to create music without necessarily going into deep expenditures and and have fun anyway, but basically it doesn't necessarily optimize uh, the talent it sort of dilutes a lot of stuff and sort of like you could have like a lot of people doing the same kind of thing so it gets to be very complex as far as the, right now the only thing they're getting pushed is like uh, people who are learning to dance or learning to sing on TV huh? so, <laughs> yeah
3: yeah i I don't mean to harp on this i mean obviously you you know you should be so proud of of the the songs you've created and and to make a career in music is such a great thing a great life to to have so i'm just so frustrated with the idea that these record labels in the 70s couldn't figure out how great your songs were but i I mean i don't mean to 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 harp on that it's just a noise no 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 it's okay
4: yeah you know like i don't i don't have any there's no, uh, how should I say? I don't dwell on it. It's not like a thing where I said, I, you know, like, it, it's not the type of uh, soul I want to carry. Do you understand? Because yeah, no, you're, I,
3: yeah, I understand. If you're yeah. wallowing
4: in regret all the time and like, hey, yes, this, this should have happened to me and I should have had this.
3: I don't give a shit, really. You know? Right. <laughs> like, well, that's very,
1: yeah, very I'm into, good. I'm into
4: other things and I'm yeah. doing other things and hopefully some stuff will come off from that and who knows, you know, like move, move forward, you know?
3: Yeah. That's a great outlook. Um, and so, uh, I mean now, uh, you're, you've been working with your son's band, right? Roman?
4: No, well, my wife, my wife's band, my, my son has a, a group too. They're starting to do shows and stuff, you know, but like a difficult thing trying to, uh, start new bands and stuff, so they, you know, you got to keep at it. And you got all this social media stuff and all this stuff. I don't really park on it that much because uh, I'd rather spend my time uh, creating music than sort of like talking to people I don't know, you know what I mean? Have, so, have uh, you
3: have you produced stuff for Roman?
4: Uh, we've done like a record uh, a couple of years ago, but, like they're still making videos off it. I did a couple of other bands too. Uh, and stuff. they're like French local uh, groups and um, and I've been working on my stuff too. so like uh, you know I'm doing that
3: yeah, i bought I bought Romans I bought Romans bands EP on iTunes and they have a new single this year that's on there. um it, it's good stuff. Yeah,
4: they 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 are original. They have uh, it's pop, but it doesn't. Uh, it's not like copy of anything. You know what I mean? They got enough. Uh, they got good ideas. You know.
3: Yeah. Do you want to pronounce his band's name so I don't screw it up? Le Fou de Reine. Right. Yeah.
4: Le Fou, Le Fou de Reine means uh, you know the the, the, the the court jester. Okay. But the usually the court jester is usually to the king, but not the court jester to the queen. Ah, <laughs> the, the, the 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 actually "foo" means the 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 crazy about the queen. You
3: know? Okay,
4: yeah, crazy is about the queen. You know? Yeah, it, it's hard to translate exactly. Right, uh, right. The, right. Uh, the uh,
3: headspace on that. But anyway, I like it know? though. It sounds cool. Um, and now there's this brand new tribute album called "Pig Revisité." Is that is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah, yeah,
4: Revisité. Right. Yeah, revisited.
3: Yeah right. So um,
4: they 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 uh, the uh, record company here wanted to uh, create uh, these uh, sort of like a, they do it with a few, a few different artists too, like a, a, Nomage, a homage, homage album where they took a few of the uh, local uh, uh, artists that uh, have uh, their records out and stuff like that and. They had them uh, pick a song that would they would love to do about me or, or of my repertoire at, with their own taste, you know. I really liked, uh, uh, he did Si Tu Voulais,
3: Oh, uh, Kareem? Yes, Kareem Ouellet, yeah. yeah. He did
4: a very, very, very interesting sort of like hip-hop thing with like... Uh, uh, with the, with this old tune that uh, actually that I wrote, you we were talking about Marty Simon before, that I wrote with Marty Simon, and uh, that's it. It's, uh, you did a very interesting version of it, and uh, a lot of them are like quite different from the record, and uh, it's hard for me to, I mean, I, they wanted me to play duos and sing with them and all this stuff, but I didn't feel it was really relevant or necessary, and they get a chance to do the way they want to do Whatever they want to do with it without me being in there, it's better, you know. Yeah. So, so they did the, they did this album and it's out now. I don't know how it's doing, but the, uh, we had a uh, cocktail for the I mean, I don't, little press conference and stuff, and it was kind of funny because that's the first time I met them. I didn't know them, so that was kind of interesting, and uh, we had a good time. So.
3: And, and you're happy with how the how it came out. Well, again, I listened to it. I said it it was
4: different to me. Uh, uh, Am I to judge how it came out? I think a lot of them are sort of interesting. Uh, I I like Karim's version a lot. I thought you went over, you went quite far to change it. And uh, I think you sort of succeeded in doing something interesting with it. very interesting too where some of the arrangements were done in a different way which is uh which is cool it's hard for me to have like a more of a critical judgment on it because i'm not necessarily uh, how should i say in a, in a in a position to do so
3: yeah does it does it feel good to have this kind of a tribute to your work out there and um well i it,
4: it's out there
3: yeah you know <laughs> you know it's the,
4: so, uh, you know, good, you know, like, uh, what, what are you going to say, bad? You know, no, it's it's good. The police people did some stuff that uh, they thought was going to be interesting and they went out of their way to do it, so good for them, you know. Now, uh, is this relevant to where I'm at uh, today and what do I do and all this stuff? Not really, but I, I can uh, I can appreciate the fact that they did that because, uh, well, they did it, you know. They wanted to do it and they did it. So Thank you.
3: So you're hoping to have a new album out next year then? Is that the plan? That's the plan. That's the plan. All right, great. I'll be looking forward to it. Um, Cool. And thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me, and thank you so much for all of the great music that you've made over the years. you're very sweet. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you very much for having me on your
4: podcast. Uh, Brian, thank you very much, and uh, uh, happy uh, Christmas and uh, New Year's and uh, health and all that stuff.
3: Thank you, you too. And um, I, I follow you on Facebook. So hopefully, I'll find out, you know, I'll know about your new album as soon as it's coming out and uh, figure I'm out a way sure to get my hands i people will on
4: be it. contacting you if yeah. that happens.
3: Okay. All right. Well, good thank luck with the much. new record and everything. And thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Because I do want to hold you, yes, I do. Who are you? How would I know if I told you? You wouldn't laugh if I told you. Because I do want to hold you, yes, I do want to hold you, hold you. Some signs. Sometimes, don't you like romance? I love love. Sometimes, some days, don't you like romance?
2: I love love.
0: Oh, you. Could I be sure that you would be true? Could I enjoy not holding you? Because I do. Wanna move? Is yes, that